Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Welcome back for another very exciting episode of the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brandon Laws, and today I've got my good buddy, Tyler Mavison, with me. What does that mean, Tyler? Oh, it's going to be another book. book <laughs> another review. book. And I'm really excited about this book. So before we dive into the discussion and just uh, about the book that we're about to um, talk about, which is Powerful, Building a Culture of Freedom and Responsibility by Patty McCord. I wanted to, it's about that time uh, where about every month or so we pick a winner of our podcast survey. We really appreciate the feedback that uh, we've get, we're getting tons of responses and all that feedback is really valuable and helps shape the content in the future. So I wanted to congratulate Lori at the Children's Center. You won Powerful, the book that we're about to discuss right now. So we'll make sure to mail that to you and I really appreciate you as a listener. Okay, Tyler. So this book, Powerful by Patty McCord. Yes. It's a very brisk 140 pages. Quick read. Quick, quick read. read. Yeah. Um, what do you like about the style in which Patty wrote? I mean, the style that she wrote in was great. It was almost like she had been, you know, she's writing a discussion with you directly. Yeah. It is, as an HR professional and in an HR world, it is very unconventional. It's, it's you're, totally. you're taking basically everything you learned in, uh, in school about HR and kind of throwing it to the side a little bit um, because it's reshuffling the way you view HR and HR practices. Yeah. So, um, but it, I thought the, you know, the writing and the way she laid it out was, was really clear and had like the kind of the follow-up bullet points at the end of each chapter to kind yeah. of, to kind of, you know, reinforce mm-hmm. kind of the key tenets of, of each chapter. So I, I liked that. I enjoyed that a lot. I really like Patty's style of writing and it was, she had this kind of like no nonsense about her, uh, which is like, she almost wrote like she talked Yep. and, yep. um, no BS, you know? So for those that don't really know who Patty McCord is, she, um, she was an early, I don't know if she, she must've had probably some ownership, but at some level, but, uh, Netflix like CHRO yeah, and one of the early people for really defining that culture. And she was a co-creator of what they call the Netflix culture deck. And I actually found a link. There's a slide share of the culture deck that was, it's been circulating for years, what, 10 years or so. Yeah. They, I think they do time. annual, uh, culture decks. And I think they kind of just, you know, uh, update it and kind of refresh yeah. it, you know, periodically. Yeah. So I found this, so I'll put in the show notes, a link to it. It's worth flipping through. It's like 150 slides or something. So it's, it's pretty massive, yeah. but this book is really based on that and the, the, the ideas behind it. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this, we're, we're doing this as a book club, uh, for, for Zenium and it's, it's, non-traditional for the type from the type of books that we typically do when you say oh yeah. yeah we we tend to read a lot of you know communication based things which there's some communication stuff in here but they tend to be like a lot of psychology based books mm-hmm. this is not that this is 
almost like a business owner's guide to HR. Sure. Yeah. Right. It's like, yeah. uh, or for HR people who need to be business savvy that I think that's the theme in the book is that like, I think Patty comes with a, a really business mind and she's trying to integrate that into the people practices to yeah. get people more inspired and develop a great culture. I agree. Yeah. I think it's, especially with this book, it's, it's more so about real world ap- application and how, how it worked over at Netflix and how they kind of, kind of flipped HR on its on its end and said, hey, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to do things our way. So it's not it's not a straight up uh, here's, you know, here's how to communicate or here's how to practice mindfulness or, you know, whatnot. It's it's taking into some principles that they've had learned over time yeah. and applying it to this book. Well, and I think what what's fascinating about this particular book and why I think uh, her experience is so valuable for a reader is because Netflix is typical Silicon Valley startup tech mm-hmm. comp tech company hiring a lot of kind of left brain thinkers, you know, engineer type people. And, and then she's trying to bring in the people aspect of it. And they went through so many transformations. The business went through so many changes that like, think about it. They had the, the mail to home DVD model only, yeah. and then they went all streaming and now they're content creators. So the business has gone through so many transformations and, all the people practice she's, she brings up throughout this, it always talks about biz, the business first and what's right for the future yeah. of the business. So I, I wanted to kind of lay the groundwork there because I think that that's really what ultimately this book's about is how do you how do you navigate all the people stuff while you're trying to survive as a exactly, business yeah. in the future? Exactly. And especially in this case, you know, when Netflix is coming up and they're in, you know, they're in Silicon Valley, they're in a high competitive sphere you know, where, you know, great ideas can, can sometimes flourish or they can just, they can, you know, go and die because it's, because it's, it, they just they fall out, they yeah. fall out. And so, um, especially in this regard, it, it's, it's really, it's really interesting and fascinating to see how a business leader, how you maintain that business edge and that business strategy while still incorporating the right people into your organization. Yeah. And I think it's from what it sounds like, a lot of trial and error. Yes. <laughs> For the most part. And I th- let's dive into some of this stuff because I think there's some really good ideas in here. And I can't wait till we talk about the compensation stuff because yeah, I know you're yeah, going to nerd out with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to start, I'm mean, going to kind of go in order of the book. I, I can't talk about like everything in the book because it's, uh, there's so much meat to it. But she talked about like business debates and decision making and how that's really important in order to find like the right path. Um, especially if you want to have a future in business. So she talked about basically like when newer employees or people who want to grow and develop, when they want to like learn how to make decisions or debate, if you ask people like how they want to learn it, you know, nine times out of 10, maybe 10 times out of 10, they would want the experiential, mm-hmm. like being thrown into like real world business decision making yeah. or debates in a you know conference room or whatever with people versus like sitting in an all day seminar learning about debates. Yeah. Would you agree? Oh, I, I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. I think it becomes really kind of tedious just to be sitting in an audience setting and kind of learning through someone speaking on a, on a PowerPoint about here is like debate techniques or here's ways to approach a scenario. Cause I think the best way that we learn, you know, as individuals and as employees is to learn by, you know, trial by fire, you know, it's learn from experience and how best to talk with someone or speak with someone or have those, those, 
those uh beneficial debates yeah regarding topics so i think it's yeah i completely agree with the 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 kind of the the notion that seminars are just not, not the best way to learn yeah i mean i think they they definitely hold their place and you still got to learn the maybe the theory behind it or the technical aspects of sure. whatever it may be so yeah. I, I think her point was just that like experience wins over yeah over any of that trumped it every time yeah yep. yeah absolutely mm-hmm. There was another um, point, and I think it might have been the same section, but it was talking about how like how how much data there is out there, especially in HR nowadays. And a lot of times people can be paralyzed by how much data there is and they start to draw some conclusions. So she brought up this example about, and I've, I've actually thought about this myself, is when Netflix really made the transition to start developing content, they nailed it like right off. I think House of Cards was one of their first ones. Yeah. And Orange is the New Black. she brings up this point. Yeah. Orange is the New Black. She brings up this point that a lot of people who observe that they said, well, look, they have all the data. They're looking at all the viewing habits of all the users. And they basically created those out of, out of that data. Mm-hmm. And I, for, I thought that was true, but she said, look, we had, the most creative mind in David Fincher creating House of Cards. Yeah, we just basically leveraged his creativity, and we we like we can't say no to that. Yeah. So they they bought the rights or had it developed or whatever, and so I think it's a, I think it's a good distinction. Is she's basically saying like don't be paralyzed by the data. The data is valuable, but at the same time, like we just hire the best talent. Essentially, yeah, exactly. And I think she mentions in the book too. It's there's a difference between you know, factual data and data that's true yeah. to your organization. So, I mean, data is valuable and it is essential to a, a business and good data and factual data is is key, but that doesn't necessarily relate or correlate to what's true for your business. So um, they, and they, they had a, you know, a great opportunity to develop a series that was, you know, previously a, a, a British television series. And then we had David Fincher come on and adapt that to American audiences. And they say, hey, well, this is going to be something big in House of Cards. And the same thing with like Orange and New Black, you know, there's a, it's kind of a very different setting for a, uh, a show. And they kind of took a chance on that. I mean, you know, no matter what the data told them about that, that's a, that's a chance they took. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's, it's kind of separating what's, what's, factual and then what's true for your organization as well well they they were talking about when they decided to split the and this is years ago but when they decided to split the dvd mailing service Mm -hmm. in the streaming into two different companies quickster Quickster, Quickster, yeah. yeah so they quickly unwound that a month or two later because they were realizing people were pissed off about it and it just wasn't the right decision. And so she talks about like the decision-making, like people were really adamant when they, you know, debate this, people were really adamant about it. And so they went with it. And then this is what a good leadership team does. They, they own it and then they do what's right for the business instead of like, you know, they swallow their pride. In other words, they like, they could have easily said like, no, we're going to just keep yeah, we're gonna keep going. Uh, a la blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. look what happened to them. So I mean, it, 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 I think uh, definitely a company needs to be limber and move and move about and fl- and fluctuate with you know what they're seeing. And that's a good instance of when they use data to their benefit. Yeah. And what's yeah. true for the organization is that this is not working. So we need to pull back right away, which they did to their um, to their credit. So they pulled back and said, "Hey, this is not a model that we want to." follow through because our audience is not not enjoying this so yeah. we need to go to what's you know what we're confident in doing which is streaming services you brought i love the blockbuster thing that you brought up because 
I think Netflix is doing something different. She brings it up in the book called Radical Honesty. Yes. And I have a feeling Blockbuster wasn't doing that because they probably got in a room, all their execs, and they're like, we're powerhouse. Nobody's going to take us mm-hmm. down. And then they, they just had the groupthink mentality versus over on Netflix, they're like having these debates and they're they're open and honest and transparent with each other. And so... You know, even if they're hurting each other's feelings by like, I don't like your idea, we should do this. And they're, they're, they're putting it all out there versus yeah. on the other side of it, people who just maybe have an idea and they're going to like slam that idea home and, and won't hear anything else. That's not a great culture. Exactly. And I, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts about the radical honesty portion, because yeah. I know, especially in the, you know, the tech sphere, you know, where a lot, you know, a lot of things can change on the dime and you're always constantly evolving and constantly changing. Radical honesty is definitely beneficial yeah. for, you know, people to get into a room and just be open with each other. And, you know, everybody has a voice. Everybody has an opinion. And they want you to freely share those opinions. Now, how that translates to other industries, I'm, I'm not sure because you have to build that that uh, kind of openness and rapport with your employees to make sure that, you know, they have, you know, the, the idea in their heads that they can speak up. Yeah. They're, they're not going to be held. Nothing to be held against them. Yep. Because this is a this is a culture of just being open and honest. So I'm curious your thoughts of maybe the transition between what do you think about, you know, going from a tech or is it is it applicable to more of uh you know, other industries, you know, business services, you know, healthcare, anything like that. It's applicable to everything. I mean, mm-hmm. her point, like it, re- it reduces the tension between teammates. It, you, re- you do reduce backstabbing. Yes. That was the um, point you build trust and respect there. I always go back to this one example. I, I remember talking about it recently with somebody, but seven habits of highly effective people. Mm-hmm. There was a, a story in there. And I, I think it was maybe Stephen Covey that was in the example where he was at a college, he's at a university and he was talking with the president about somebody on the staff and just ripping them apart. And then the president was like, let's just, let's just bring him in. Like, cause yeah. he's having the side conversation about yeah. somebody talking about somebody like, let's just bring him in and let's just, let's just talk about this. So then they brought him in and they had a direct conversation and was open and honest. And it's like, wow. How powerful is that to just have a direct conversation with somebody? I agree. And I think when you let something like that fester and, you yeah. know, you had the backstab, you know, the backstabbing notion, you talk behind people's backs, and you're not being open with them and you let that fester. I think that just creates a more hostile work environment. Yeah. It just, it just creates a lot more unsteady, uneasiness in, in the office, especially when you're, you're talking with people and it's just not authentic and you want to make sure you're building you know, a culture that surrounds like, Hey, we're authentic. We're honest with each other yep. because that, you know, that's how our business is going to be better is if yep. we're all honest with each other. She brings up the fact that people can handle the truth and they really want it. They want, they want the transparency. Maybe it doesn't feel good. Maybe hard feedback about your performance doesn't feel good in the moment, but wouldn't you rather know about it versus not yeah, or would. somebody talking yeah. about you or getting it, getting it in a annual review once a year or something. Yeah. And that's another thing she brings up is, you know, the annual performance review that people are poking holes in this thing because yeah. why should we wait till the end of the year, once a year to, to dump all the feedback on somebody and anonymous feedback at that? Yes. yes. You know, like versus if I had like five people I work with on a regular basis and, and each one of them had to put their name on it and say like, you know, direct feedback, I would appreciate that. Maybe yeah. it'd be hard to swallow, but I ultimately this can make me better. Yeah. I, she mentions early on in the book that you know, treat everyone like adults. I mean, we're in 
you know, we're in the business industry, we're in, we're in companies, organizations, we're all adults. Yeah. We need to be, you know, we should be treated like adults and not having, you know, to these, these side back conversations about people. We should be upfront with people because yeah. that's how, that's how we learn. And that's how it's better to communicate any type of issues you may have. Yeah. She, she brings up the fact that like when you're, when you're hiring talent, and you're you're building the culture that you want. You don't build it for the company you have now. And I think that's yeah. a trap a lot of companies probably fall into is they look at the landscape of where they're at in mm-hmm. the moment and then they try to they try to put all these little puzzle pieces together and fit them with with the the current state. She argues that you should be building the future. So, yeah. she brings up the example of I think it's early on in the chapter about building the, the team that you want, but she talks about the like the military. It's like you go to you go to war, you go to battle with the the team that you have. But in business, because it's highly competitive and there it's changing so often, you have to hire and look for talent in a way that's gonna get you further ahead in the future. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of organizations, I mean it's true for many that it's, it's always like a reactionary process. So, well, we lost someone or someone left and we need to replace that yeah. individual. So not fill a, lot, a hole in the boat, fill, a hole, yeah. fill a hole. There's not a lot of proactive recruiting, which I think is, which to Patty McCord's point is, you know, that's, that's, you're building something for the future. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that you're kind of have that uh, kind of locked in, you know, that line of sight towards a goal down line. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely agree with more proactionary stance uh, to recruiting and, and just hiring people that may they may not be a role needed for them right now, but in the future that will that will present itself. Switching gears a little bit, going to compensation perks uh, yes. and benefits. I love yep. this section. I wrote, I was writing yep. so many notes about this, and I encourage reader go buy this book. It, you're gonna be you're gonna be happy you did. Uh, but this section's so meaty. I want to talk about perks real quick. So there's one story she brings up. She was in a staff meeting or they, they'd asked her to come just give a talk. And somebody raises their hand and says, what do you think about departmental kegerators versus a company kegerator? Yeah. As if that, like that was an, an issue that's been debated. Yes. And Hot, she, an issue. <laughs> and she's like, is, is that a real question? Yeah. Is that is that a real question? You you know how business works, don't you? <laughs> and I think her point is valid in in that businesses, or companies, organizations, they don't exist to to create happy employees through perks and benefits and things like that. You are in business to serve your customer base. Correct. And so I think her point is a valid one in that I get like we get the perks and comp and all and all that stuff, but more importantly, you should be talking about the future and the vision of the, of the company and, and getting people aligned with that because then these trivial little perks will yeah. not even come up. It won't even be a factor in whether or not somebody's happy at work. Yeah. So it, it brings in the question, you know, so with that individual, you know, questioning kegerators is like, why is, why is he spending so much time thinking about having fun in an office yeah. setting when really it should be focusing on how to improve, you know, wherever his, expertise is or how to prove the business from within it's always it's always nice to have perks and to have that enjoyment where you can seek some off off-site you know rapport with your colleagues or or um or whatnot but you know the, it's business first yeah that's that's always kind of the mentality it's always business first you got to think of be be thinking about what can i do 
that can enhance my our you know our company's experience to their customers. Yeah, and I think that's where where HR people could really play a huge role. And if especially if they wanted to see the the executive table, it's it's how do you mold your people practices to make sure you're flourishing as a business and not necessarily just to create a happy culture where people are you know, getting those perks, but like to really like serve your clients yeah. to really, to really do good work and yeah. to get everybody aligned with that. Cause I think that's so much better than, you know, those little, I mean, Hey, the perks are cool. Right. But that's exactly. not going to be lasting happiness. Yeah, I, I always I don't think that there's a notion that they're mutually exclusive. I think that they can exist in the same same space. You know, if you're if you're you know working to benefit your your clients and and the and, you know enhance the business experience of your of your organization, I think that it in turn creates you know value intrinsically and you know the and uh, you know happiness at at work. Mm-hmm. So I think you're doing a good job. You get that fulfillment, which can, can turn you know create more opportunities for you know, perks or whatnot you can have. I wanted to bring up something to you because I, w- I want to hear your opinion on this. So she brought up the fact that they don't bring up compensation until they're, they know that somebody's about to accept an offer. Meaning, I think what she means by that is that it's such a good fit. And it's such an alignment of like the what they need and maybe culture fit that they would likely accept an offer if the money was right. Sure. And so they don't bring up compensation until that that moment. I've, you know, I've, I've heard some stories of people in my personal life who have been kind of burned by that, where they were, they were interviewing for a job, great fit, like perfect alignment. But then when it came time to talk about compensation, maybe three interviews down the road, they were like forty, fifty thousand $50,000 off yeah. in terms of like what this person wanted versus what the company was willing to pay for sure. the position. So is it a waste of people's time? Like, what do you think about that? I mean, as as a job seeker, it could be, you know, frustrating to know that you go through all these interview processes and then come down the line yeah. and you find out you have a huge, huge disparity yeah, between yeah. what you want and what they're offering you. You know, at the same side, though, you know, this organization is, is trying to is trying to enhance their culture. They're trying yes. to they're trying to recruit. They're trying to get their, the right their employees. people. Yeah. You're interviewing for their company. So that's it's their value that they're trying to bring in and trying to enhance. So I think you know, as as job seekers, we gotta understand that you know this this is not like a personal shot. This is this is this is for this is trying to work with a company, and they're just trying to seek someone that's valuable for them at the same time. Yeah. So um, I mean, I I'm all for removing that factor of of compensation from the immediate you know interview process because I think. Once you get that outside, you know, out of, you know, throw that away, you can focus in on the more valuable things. Like, how are you going to bring value to mark my organization? Yeah. You know, what are what's your skill sets? You know, what are you going to bring here? Um, so I think when you can focus on that and not focus about, you know, the, you know, the kind of the elephant in the room, which is what am I going to get paid? You know, then you can kind of have a real discussion about the value you bring. You're not giving advice on this one necessarily, but I want to get your opinion. And this is just your opinion. So she... She talks on page 112 of the book about how market demand isn't an adequate guide for compensation because it's today. It's it's a snapshot for today versus we, we're talking about the future of business and where you want to go. So if you're hiring in the right talent and you're and you're paying exactly what your competitors are making or whatever market uh, data says is the the 
the compensation for that position, that industry today. Yeah. Is that a good, is that a good way to go about compensation? You know, I think, you know, we've always, you know, in the compensation side, we've always, you know, stressed that market data is value. It's valuable. Yeah. Um, but it should be used as a foundation yeah, tool yeah, for yeah. any type of hiring or recruiting practice you have. It, it is a snapshot of what the market was was paying for that particular position, but it doesn't stress the value that 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 role may bring to your to your organization. So, and now she brings you know in the tech sector, and a lot of software developers, a lot of programmers. So you know they would pay you know forty fifty thousand above what market was saying because that person's valuable and they need them or someone else is going to take them. Um, I think that's, that's true in any regard, in any industry you have, if there's a, if there's an individual after meeting with, you know, in interviews and going through interview process with them and you can see the value that they would bring your organization, it's, you can, you can use that market data as a foundation tool, but you may want to enhance it just to say, this is the, this, this person's a better fit for us. We want to, we want to take them off that market. And, and, you know, and bring them into our culture. So I think, I think as we've always stressed is that, you know, market data is good. We, we encourage you to, to, to get those snapshots, to get those kind of uh, th- that valuable data, those, th- those factual data points that Patty McCord brings up previously in the book. And, but then use that, is that true for your organization? So use as a foundation and then move forward with that. What did she, I can't remember what exactly she said about, you know, you could develop like a philosophy around compensation. We definitely encourage that, right? But what if you had like one or two positions or, or an apartment within an organization that literally drove your business? Like, okay, in the let's use a tech example because that's what we're talking about. What if there was one or two software developer positions that could change your business? Yeah. And then the rest were like, you know, customer service or administrative or whatever. So do you like, do you pay those positions astronomically because they're going to drive your business or does it all work within the framework of like what everybody else in the organization makes? I will see. I think that if you can, you know, especially in engineering in engineering companies and people and, and companies that have those high, highly sought after highly competitive fields like engineering software development, you can have separate comp structures or pay grades, separate pay grades for them and have different philosophies, different strategies that, that uh, portray, uh, you know, pertain to each one. Mm-hmm. So it's not about it's not about focusing all your comp onto one single structure. You can have multiple structures within the same organization. Within the same yeah, organization, because yeah, it, it, you obviously you want to, in an engineering company, your engineers are your, your bread and butter. I mean, they're they're the ones that are making the product. They're the ones that are kind of driving your business. You want to make sure that they are being paid competitive. Um, so I mean, that's. It's 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 perfectly fine to have multiple um, compensation structures. I won't get too crazy and have like more than you know you know three, but um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely uh, advantageous to to do that. I want to talk about a point that she brought up that I was like, oh yes, I totally agree. Just from a marketing standpoint, uh, that, that's where I'm coming from on this. But she talks about the experience that uh, candidates in particular have, where you may have a bunch of people coming in to interview for a position, but her point was like, the goal is them making every single person who came in for the interview to walk away wanting the job because yeah. they, you know, they want them to think 
like, wow, this is an incredible experience. This is a great culture. Like I want this job, even if it's like not a, sure. a perfect alignment, but they, um, even if like Netflix, let's say didn't think they were a good fit, they still wanted that, that person to leave. Like I want this job so bad because yeah. they're, they're going to go talk and uh, yeah, especially in where, where they're located at. I mean, they're going to, they probably have multiple interviews they're going through. Yeah. So it's in, it, it's interesting because you want to create a culture maybe not with a lot of enhancements or perks that, you know, she kind of kind of talks bad about, but, but you want to make sure that the value that the company brings to the market is kind of represented in, in the interview so that, that they can come on board yeah. with that. And I think Netflix had, you know, had a great kind of, uh, you know, value add to the, the industry at that time, you know, their streaming services. They wanted people to bring onto that culture and say, Hey, we're, you know, we're, we're all about radical honesty. We're all about being upfront with each other. We're all about, you know, just communicating and kind of leading in a realm where it's not really developed yet. So I think it's definitely good to bring someone on like in it can that can have that sense of value set as you guys. So pre- presenting that in a way in the interviews is key to have that experience where they say, "Hey, I I'm on board with what they what they do as a company not necessarily the pay and the perks but what they do um as their mission you know mission and and values yeah so like even if they walked away they'd be like i support i'm going to fully support this company because i see the way the world the way that they do and they it was a good experience and they're a good brand they're good people yeah she's just so much good storytelling in this book and i think that's why i like it like for every concept that she has she's got some sort of story and it's like Again, it's just sort of out there, and I appreciated the the open honesty about it. Saying goodbyes is the last chapter before the conclusion, and this one was a this one was a tough read just because it's like she talks about how some people are super talented, great workers, but they don't fit within the vision of the of the future. And she even talks about herself at some point. She looked at Reed Hastings, who's the what the CEO of uh, Netflix. I don't know if he's the founder necessarily, but he came in as a CEO, and they just knew it was time for her to go. Yeah, and the, I don't, I don't know how you analyze that. Like maybe it's workforce planning or something, but determining if your skills and your talents are going to be a good match to the future. I think that's her point. Like you should look at that and talk, probably talk about it with your with your team. What do you think about that whole thing? Yeah, I mean, with them, they they going back to the radical honesty, they kind of ingrained that into their their culture. So for them, it was probably it is is no it's it's never easy to to say, hey, I, I'm I think I'm kind of not fit for this this position anymore. Or I I think my uh, my value has has gone down to this because our maybe a service that I was working on has has kind of uh, withdrawn. But I think. When they have that radical honesty um, in place, it's a little bit easier for them to kind of communicate with, you know, management or with people that I, I, I maybe need to move on. It might be time for me to move on and kind of try something new. And, uh, and I think she also brings up in the, in the book, too, about how all employees should be constantly learning and developing their skills and kind of and, and growing as, as, as a business person. Because, you know, you may not be with a job for 15 20 years you may you may move around but that's okay because you're still you're 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 putting your value into a a different organization that you can bring so i think you know saying goodbye is 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 never easy but 
it's it says something as a as a business professional when you're up can be that you know kind of upfront and say hey we need to have a discussion here i'm i feel like my place right now is is i'm better left moving on and yeah. kind of starting something new i think, but it, goes, I think it goes both ways too and i think that's the point is like through the radical honesty if you're talking about that like hey tyler your skills they're great but the the business to where it's going, you're not even going to be utilized. And so you're miserable. The The company yeah. can't move forward. And I'm just using, use an example because you're yeah, staring no. at me. Um, <laughs> but I think that's the point is like you hold both parties back. The employee doesn't grow and their future is like limited. And then the organization can't grow because they're holding this, this uh, position that doesn't really fit within the that's landscape obsolete. of the future. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so interesting to me. And it's, and I think that's why like probably annually or semi-annually, you probably have to like as an executive leadership team or whatever, you really have to look at the talent in the organization and the and look at the business goals to say, is this a match? Yeah, exactly. And I think it also you can also tie that back to when she mentions about having frequent and reoccurring management meetings to kind of address. She brings up like the the hockey um, example about how he would, you know, talk with the with his players about you know, here the ten, the past ten games, what went? Oh, what I love went, that! Yeah, yeah, I love it was, that. Scotty Bowman too. I, I mean, so I, I'm a big Red Wings fan, so that was that was kind of a, a fascinating read. That there. was a that was a great segment. And do you want to expand on that real quick? Because I think yeah, that so, was a good good example. So it, it, part of the book where she talks about like in the annual annual performance reviews, she doesn't she doesn't like doing that. She doesn't like having to wait, you know, a certain segment, a long period of time to review the the progress of an individual. And so she went to, um, she was speaking at, in, at, I can't remember what arena it was, is in Montreal, I think. And Scotty Bowman was, he was a head coach for several hockey teams, Canadians, um, the Red Wings. Um, he, he mentions that his strategy is to, you know, to look at 10 games at a time and say what went well, what didn't go well, and where can we, where can we learn from that? And she kind of wants to adapt that strategy. She said that's a great way to look at it is to look, you know, look at short periods of time and, you know, and then what went well, what went, what didn't go well, what can we improve upon? I think that's kind of like that almost, you know, agile mm-hmm. scrum type of mentality where you kind of, you learn from the processes yes. as, as an ongoing basis and not just on an annual basis. Yeah. And I think so that's I, how like you could utilize one-on-one. So for those that have, you know, direct reports and are doing one-on-ones, that's probably a good, like if you're doing a monthly, that's a, probably a good time frame to like, yeah. Hey, let's monthly, look at yeah. like what's happened in the last month. Yep. And then you can exactly. look forward too. like, it's yeah. just you utilize that time in a good and way. And I think the key too is, is to focus on that on the, on the previous weeks. So if you're looking at a month end to really focus in on the last month and, and kind of say, okay, well in this last month, what was, what was the, what was the high points? What would, what do we need to work on and where we go from here? And then kind of, did then then the next month did we do we accomplish our goals yeah. that we set? Yeah. So I think that's kind of that 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 constant and agile feedback structure is is really key. Okay. So as we wrap up, I always like to get your like star rating on this. Star rating. Yeah. What five, would you do at yeah. five stars? Yeah. Well, I very rarely give business books five stars it's kind of like it's kind of like a prestigious thing for me this is a five star book Um, i I, I really enjoyed it um it's it's a really great read it is unconventional and and in terms of an hr setting but it's gonna piss people off i you know i think i think you might get some like disagreements yeah yeah. you might get those hardcore like hr you know mindsets like no this is not gonna work it's not gonna work there's a couple times where i was like 
eh, I don't know if I agree. I mean, it's interesting. I don't yeah, like, I, but I wasn't sure. like, oh yeah, so adamant that like you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's just a a really refreshing way to look at HR. Yeah, in general, and I think that is good for HR professionals because it just gives you a different different taste of something that could be could be beneficial, could not. But you know, until you implement it or try it out, you yeah. may never know. But I think it's a really refreshing read. And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Tyler, thanks for coming on the podcast. You're on LinkedIn, Twitter. Yes. Okay. So people can connect with you there. We'll uh, put links to your profiles in the show notes. People can connect with you. Let us know how you like this podcast. Give us a review on iTunes. We have a survey when the sh- in the show notes and on the Zenium blog. Your feedback is so important to us. So feel free to reach out to me anytime send me the survey, do an iTunes review, Stitcher, whatever it is. Uh, feedback is good for us. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all those places. So feel free to connect with me there. And thanks for tuning in for this week's episode. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.